A strange and unsettling scene in Mary and Martha's home in Bethany opens us to prepare for the mysteries of Holy Week and invites us to live lives that, contrary to the expectations the world presses upon us, lives that seek contemplation and devotion rather than self-absorbed measurements of our performance and productivity. Richard Helmer offered this sermon on the fifth Sunday of Lent, March 25, 2007. In the name of the one whose feet Mary anointed. Amen. So this past Friday was pretty typical for me. Too much to do and less time to do it. And I imagine many of you know what I mean. We live in Marin County, after all, where many of us work in ways that demand more than 100% much of the time, often in stressful occupations in high-end fields where staying on the cutting edge matters more at times than our own sanity. It is true also that in American life these days, wherever we find ourselves in the social pecking order, in the workplace, or in the organizations we are called to serve, more is being demanded of less. And being pretty well-educated left-coast folk, we often have a hunger for more information, more knowledge, because as we all know, knowledge is power, right? More awareness more erudite arguments and opinions from the stock market to politics to the weather, and a faster, more efficient way of being who we are and doing what we do. Now, this is sort of a confession for me, a bit of a self-indictment, so forgive me if you're well ahead of me on this, and do let me know if you are so I can sit at your feet and learn. It is true to the American spirit that we are what we do, right? That good old Protestant work ethic that hounds us whether we are Christian or not, or Protestant or not, or Catholic or atheist or Buddhist, or just plain old spiritual. And so being a good all-around young American guy with a family to support and eyes on the development of the church I serve, I was busy nipping and tucking whatever I could into my schedule, as so many of us do, this past Friday. And then I was racing off to see my spiritual director over the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge, barely noticing the beauty of the day, let alone my own hunger for more than just racing from one thing to the next. Now, after seven years, my spiritual director has me sized up pretty much the moment I walk in the door. And so there I was, after diurnum, standing at the entrance to the narrow library where we meet. We sat down, and Tom started talking this time. No, how are things going this time? He took out his notebook and said that during his reading and reflection this week, something very clear had come to mind worth writing down and sharing. 
paused momentarily. My brain was still ticking over the seconds. Got to get going, got to get going. There's so much to talk about this week. What our House of Bishops did this week that made international news. Who was being good and who was being bad. How things are going at Church of Our Savior. Whether I've been attentive to the daily office as I should be. How many times I've committed to the spiritual practice of Lexio. And whether or not I've been spending enough time with my family. Time to check in on my performance. The antidote to our obsession with productivity, he began, is contemplation. Stop me dead in my tracks, and I mulled that over for a second, and I said, then I need more medicine. With Jesus six days from Passover, and if we follow John's narrative, six days from the crucifixion, Mary enters, lets down her hair, and cleanses his feet with a most expensive jar of perfumed ointment, worth a full year's wages. The scene is almost as sensual as it is scandalous, A woman who humbles herself to anoint the teacher's feet with her hair down, totally submissive, giving herself over completely to this strange and wonderful person who has raised her brother from the dead. In another story about Martha and Mary, many of you will remember, it's found in the Gospel of Luke. It is Mary who sits at Jesus' feet to contemplate while Martha scurries around hurriedly preparing the meal, and Martha resents it bitterly. Here in John's Gospel, it again is Mary who throws herself before Jesus, throwing away all decorum and all considerations of propriety. She is there to prepare her Savior's body for burial. She contemplates in action and posture the journey that is to come, something the apostles can scarcely comprehend, even though they flutter around Jesus right now like moths around a lamp. The scene makes me uncomfortable to contemplate. It made Judas uncomfortable, too, for many reasons beyond his cynical appeal to put an end to it all, an appeal, of course, to the devotion that Jesus has demanded to serving the poor, an appeal to relinquishing worldly things for the sake of those in need, cynical, of course, because, as the author of John tells us, Judas had his own hand in the disciples' common money, but even more cynical, perhaps, because the terrible thought is that with all the power that Judas has as one of Jesus' disciples and one of the twelve apostles, he is shown up by a woman's utter humility before Christ. It 
It is always remarkable to me that many of the greatest Christians at the very beginning of our tradition are not men. Men who were instantly endowed as they were with prestige appropriate for their gender and culture. Men who were even named apostles, giving them special status. No, among the greatest Christians at the very beginning were women. Jesus appealed to women and to children, to the poor and the broken, the sick and the marginalized. He is as radical today as it was in the first century. Those already powerless get the kingdom of God first. In today's gospel, the apostles are lounging around the table in good first century fashion, pondering Jesus' words like good disciples should. Judas is calculating his own agenda and pride. But it is Mary who comes in and embodies true faith. That faith true Christians throughout the ages, whether men, women, or children, have emulated. A faith that sees Christ's death as part of the journey, a faith that sets aside all personal ambition and relinquishes everything before God, a faith of contemplation. When we meet a soul truly humble before God, all of our imaginings and machinations of power are shown up and laid bare before the light of Christ. We ourselves are humbled. And sometimes we're even scandalized, as Judas was, terrified to behold the pettiness of power and control that dominates our lives and ambitions much of the time. It's for this reason that Christianity's call has always and will forever have a very uncomfortable relationship with power and a terribly difficult time with domination. Jesus' call is not to the oppression of others or even of ourselves, but picking up the cross and walking the path of humility, a relinquishing of power until our bare selves are completely open, open to God's transforming grace, because that's the only power that truly matters in the end. In today's New Testament reading, Paul writes to the Philippians that for all of his success in attaining to the strictures of the law of his tradition and birth, for all of his placement in the inner circle of the saved, simply by accident of where he was born and whom he was born to, but then also by the sweat of his own brow. When he is confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, He sees all his achievements as nothing. Mere garbage is the way he puts it in language, both shocking and illuminating. There is no room for pride in the Christian faith, no room for measuring performance. God is not so worried about our productivity, Paul is telling us. At the end of the day, what's done is done. 
In a way, Jesus tells his disciples, as he quotes Deuteronomy, you will always have the poor with you, meaning, it seems to me, there will always be more to do tomorrow. My sisters and brothers in Christ, many of us are harried these days. Yet in another week, we begin to contemplate those mighty acts of Jesus that are the very root of our tradition. Have you stopped yet to contemplate anything this Lent, even if it is something that the world regards as trivial? How about this? As I was drafting this sermon last night in my usual harried mode, I stopped momentarily to contemplate a single red Lego that Daniel had left sitting next to the mouse on the computer desk. A bit of lint on the carpet, actually more than one, for a moment to be just like the Lego or a piece of lint born and entirely itself, born on the apparent randomness of existence, a cosmic accident or perhaps some divine event, just being there. We Americans are impatient and rarely have time for such fluff, right? But it is there, actually, that our true spiritual life begins and true vision about who we are and who God is emerges. Consider Mary yet again in today's gospel. Martha is busy again in the kitchen. But Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Mary somewhere, sometime, must have truly contemplated this indescribable act and recognized Jesus for who he truly was. And suddenly the miracle of new life and the strange upside-down grace of God, where an innocent and holy man must die, where the Son of God must endure the cross, where life must be gained but only through death, where the greatest gifts in the world must be given away, where the best thing we can do for ourselves is to forget ourselves. Mary somehow understands all of this, above all the apostles, above her sister Martha in the kitchen. She understands all this and she honors it with expense beyond her means, and with every last shred of her own dignity and pride. My brothers and sisters, prepare for Holy Week this week with that kind of upside-down faith where in order to win, you must lose. In order to get ahead, You must quit the treadmill of productivity, if only for a brief moment, to reclaim your true humanity in Christ. To notice again the mundane in all of its primordial and vivacious divine beauty. 
the lint on the floor, the Lego on the desk. Stop to see, breathe, listen, and feel again, and find Christ. As you break your own pride, costly and precious, over the feet of the one who saves you. The one who saves you through his death, burial, and rising again. Amen. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.